This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Just want to start off this class with a disclaimer. I have not had my cup of coffee this morning. So if I forget to say something or repeat myself or I'm not gracing you with my usual uh, level of eloquence, please excuse the, you know, excuse me on that one. Um, you know, my really, my sincerest intention today, I'm going to do my very best. My intention is to um, to meet all of you where you are on the floor as Claudia Stroll is plunged into a state of mourning. I want to be able to offer us some insight on how to make this day as meaningful and as lasting as possible so that we shouldn't just be depressed, but we should derive a lot of meaning from it. We all tell each other, have an easy and meaningful fast. We all want to feel the meaning in it. We don't want to just be sad for no reason. So I want to help us all derive meaning from the day in a way that we're able to take that meaning into the rest of our year and really use it to enhance our spiritual connection um, and our, our, our close bond with Hashem. And that's my intention today in this class. So, you know, I feel very much that there's no real, I can't think of a better way of doing this than through learning Parak Kof Lamed Zayin in Tehillim, the Parak of what 137, the Parak of Al Naros Bavel. We are, we are getting, we're sitting with the Jews in their misery. We're entering into the Chorban here in this Parak. And we're going to meet them on the riverbanks of Bavel when they had, when they just arrived and they just were, had gone through unspeakable tragedy, suffering. Who knows what each one of these people had endured. And they're finally sitting down at the riverbanks of Bavel and they're mourning Yerushalayim. And through their mourning and through seeing what they're going through, we're going to be able to take real important lessons out of there that we could bring into our life to make this Tisha B'Av so meaningful and so important and so influential for us. So what's going on here is that David is prophesizing centuries before the Chorban. Hashem puts the image in David's mind of the Jews that were exiled. And so he's painting a picture of what it's going to be like it's it's referring here to the after the first base Hamikdash was destroyed and also after the second base Hamikdash was destroyed. What it's going to be like for them as they're sitting and mourning the destruction of their holy temple. Now, there's three distinct parts in this. That just as an overview, the three distinct parts of this parak is going to be. It's going to first talk about the mourning that the Jews are feeling on the riverbanks of Bavel. Then it's going to talk about the famous pasuk that we always say. They're going to promise to never forget Yerushalayim. And then at the end of the parak, it's going to talk about the curse that the Jews are actually not speaking in their characteristic way of speaking with mercy. They're actually speaking very harshly at the end. And they're praising and thanking Hashem and whoever Hashem sends to take revenge on these enemies that destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. Now the Shloss says that we're supposed to say this parak before benching on weekdays, not on Shabbos and Yantif, but on weekdays. I only remember it singing, I remember this parak from singing it before benching in camp during the nine days, but really the Shloss says we're supposed to say it every day 
because we're supposed to be living out this promise that we're making here in this parak that we're never going to forget Yerushalayim and we're going to elevate it Allah al-Rosh Simchasi we're going to elevate it over our highest joys so basically when we're in a place of feeling full and satiated and satisfied with our food that's when we stop and we're supposed to remember Yerushalayim now we know Betty Friedman has this song that recently came out a yid never bends and a yid never breaks and a yid never gives up in the night and it's really an illustration of this because when we look at this park we see we see downtrodden Jews who are exiled, who are crying, and yet they display these qualities of the Yid where they are able to handle great trauma and distress by keeping Hashem close to them and staying strong and staying okay. And so I want to take the messages that we learn from them to bring meaning to our day, to bring meaning to our life. Perek Koflamadayan Pasakalaf Al Naros Bavel. On the riverbanks of Bavel, we're getting painting this picture of the Jews there. Sham Yashavnu, there they sat. So the first question is, what do you mean there they sat? Why can't it just say the Jews sat on the riverbanks of Bavel? Why on the riverbanks there they sat? What's this extra word there, Sham? Mefarshim explained that this word Sham is emphasizing that this is actually the first time that the Jews had a chance to sit. There they sat because the whole way to getting there, the Babylonians did not allow them to sit. Why? Because they reasoned that they, they understood and they knew that the God of the Jews is a merciful one. And they said to themselves, if we allow the Jews to rest, they're going to gather together and they're going to pray. And then God is going to inevitably hear their prayers and free them from us. So we can't let them sit. So the first time that the Jews had an opportunity to sit was when they were in Bavel. They got there and that's when they let them sit. And this just speaks to like what we just said, a yid never bends, a yid never breaks. That They were holding on to their connection and even their captors understood that they had such a closeness with Hashem that if they would stop, then, then, then this whole thing would be over because the Jews would gather and daven. So let's look at the words gambachinu. This is also a little uh, interesting. What, what's, what does this mean? Also, they cried. Seems like an extra word also. Why can't we just say they sat and cried? What's with this word also? So a very beautiful explanation that I read here is that when, they, when the Jews arrived in exile, yes, they were sad and yes, they were crying, but there was a certain contentment that they felt, a comfort that they felt, because they noticed when they arrived there that they still felt Hashem's Shechina with them. Hashem's Shechina had come and traveled with them into their state of mourning, into their exile. And so, Yashavnu means sit, but it also means settled. They had a certain feeling of being settled, of being content, because they felt Hashem's presence with them, even though they were punished, and even though they got sent out of their land. And that's why it says, Gam Bachinu. They also cried, because crying wasn't their essence. It wasn't that they were killed over, and that their whole sense of self was in a state of, of this terrible feeling of crying. No, Yashavnu, they had a feeling of settled, they had a feeling of contentment, because they felt Hashem Shechina, Gam Bachinu, and they also cried B'Zachrinu Asion when they were remembering what they lost. And the message here for us to take away and for us to create greater meaning in our day is that 
Hashem Shechina is always with us. And that's what Shabbos Nachamu is all about. Because if you think about it, what's Shabbos Nachamu? What, what, what's the comfort of Nachamu? Lamaisa, we're still in Golas. We don't have our Beis HaMikdash back. So why are we talking about comfort? And the comfort of Shabbos, Shabbos Nachamu is that even though we're still in Golas, Hashem Shechina has never left us. He's always with us. And that's what the Jews felt when they got into exile. And that's how we have to feel today. So suggestion number one for making greater meaning out of this day is let's use this day of mourning, of loss, of destruction, this day where we're marinating in the sense of loss that we have from not having the Beis HaMikdash. Let's use it to heighten our desire for connection. To heighten our feeling of wanting and needing a spiritual connection with Hashem on a regular basis every single day of our lives. I read a self-help book. As most of you could probably figure out, I'm, a, I'm quite the self-help book junkie. But one of them stood out in my mind because not only did it give very good tips and, and life tools, but also the author of the book had lost his mother very shortly, like pretty close to when he wrote the book. And he keeps putting in, like every, he sprinkles into his book very often this idea that he misses his mother so much. And he says, what would I not give? And he says this a few times. What would I not give for one more day with my mother? There's nothing that I wouldn't give. And he says, I don't, it's not that I would want to do it, take a fun trip with her to Europe or do anything exciting. All I would do if I had, he's like, you know what I would do if I had that one day back with my mother? All I would do is sit at her kitchen table with her, have a cup of coffee and talk the whole day. And just talk about her, talk about her life, talk about her lessons that she wants to impart. And what was it that inspired in him this desire to have such an intense connection, such a real connection with his mother? It was the loss that he felt from just having had lost her, from feeling that strong loss. From there, that incited in him a deep desire to connect. And that's what we should be gaining from Tishvah. That's my first suggestion. I'm going to give two big suggestions today. That's the first one that I want to offer, that we should take from here a strong desire, take from this day where we're mourning, take a strong desire to connect. Now, and I'm going to talk more about this at the end of the parak. I want to add one more beautiful explanation that I saw on the words Gam Bachinu. So it says we were also crying. So if it says we were also crying, right, then who else was crying? Somebody else must have been crying for us to now say, and also we were crying. So who was crying? Hashem was crying. Before even we were crying, before the Gam Bachinu, before it talks about our cries, it talks about Hashem's cries. And the lesson here for us is, is it's a comfort for us to know that Hashem cares about us and loves us more than we care about and love ourselves. And this is a very important, this is a very important idea. This is a very important truth to carry into our life because often we go through pain. Our family members go through pain. We can't protect ourselves. We can't protect them. Somebody, let's say, who has an ill family member and it's so painful to watch that other person suffer. The only, the only comfort here is to remind ourselves, to remind them, Hashem loves your family members and your friends more than you love them. And so therefore, 
you know, your pain, you can have a comfort with your, for your pain, knowing that as much pain as you're in, Hashem's even, in even more pain. And so you could know, rest assured, that they're being taken care of and only what's best for them is being done for them. And so this is the lesson that we gain from Gam Bachinu. Also, we cried. Who was crying first? Who cares about us even more? Hashem. Hashem cared even more about the destruction, even more about us being exiled than we did. Pasuk Bey says, Ala Ravim Besocha Talinu Kinoroseinu. There on the willow trees, we hung our harps. Why are there harps? What, what's going on? What, why are there instruments here in the exile? So the Levim brought their sacred harps that they played in the base of Mikdash. Yeah, I'm sure they, there was a lot more important things that they could have thought to bring. They probably, you know, should have first thought, and maybe they did, I don't know, but there's so many important things like food, blankets, money, right? There's so many things that, you know, that you would think that they would have grabbed to take, but they didn't forget their harps. And what did they do with their harps? They put them, they hung them on the trees. Why did they hang them on the trees? The Mepharshim explained that they were trying to hide them. Why were they trying to hide their instruments? Because in the, ne- in the next Pasuk, we're going to see that the captors were trying to get them to play the music from the Beis HaMikdash here on this Admas Nechar, on this, on this foreign soil. They wanted them to play that music and the Levian just, they, they refused to do it. So what did they do? They threw, they, they hung their harps on the trees to hide them so that the captors wouldn't see that they had instruments to play. Now the question here is, they're in exile and not only do they think to bring their harps with them, but they also, you would think that in order to, once their captors asked them to play for them, that they would destroy them, they would bury them, they would throw them into the water, get rid of them. But instead of getting rid of their harps, they hung them on the trees. And what's the reason for this? They hung them up because they didn't want to lose hope. They still were holding on to their hope that they were going to re-enter their homeland, that they were going to have the Beis HaMikdash back, that they were going to play music there. They were like staying in this state of hope. And this is suggestion number two. Let's use our pain, the pain that we have from not having the Beis HaMikdash, from having this great loss of our connection, our special connection that we had with the Shekhinah. Let's use that pain and our loss today to motivate ourselves to grab onto renewed hope. As a young girl, I was maybe 13 years old. I was 13 and I was in the hospital. My father was in the hospital and I, I lost him when I was almost 14. And what I noticed is that the more bad news that I was hearing about his condition, the more people wanted to clue me into reality and give me bad news, the more I looked, the the more frantic I was in looking for hope. The more I was trying to create hope from a situation where it made no sense to have hope, but I was looking for little signs of hope, and I was doing that with an even more frantic effort as I heard more and more bad news. And so my suggestion today is we're in this loss, we're feeling it, we're hungry, we're not eating, we're not drinking, we're not showering, we're, we're feeling miserable. Let's use the misery feelings to push us and to awaken us to renew our hope that even now in the midst of Tisha B'Av, anything could happen, right? Hashem could turn the whole thing around and put an end to our pain. I just want to give you an example of what hope could do for us. 
Somebody was interviewing, I was recently watching somebody interview a, the famous Holocaust survivor, Do, Dr. Edith Eva Ager. And she was being interviewed and she was asked, you know, because here's the thing, her, the, the message that she gives over is a message from her mother. One of the main things she gives over is that on the way to Auschwitz in the train, her mother had told her, I, what, no matter what happens to us, everything could get taken away from us. We don't know what's going to be. But one thing we know for sure, one thing that can never get taken away from us is what we put in our minds. So she's famous for giving over that message from her mother. And her mother was killed in Auschwitz. But that message is something that she gives over to the world, which is incredible. But so she was asked specifically on this topic. So she was asked, what was it? What mindset? What did she put in her mind that was able to save her and get her through the war, get her through the atrocities that she witnessed every single day? And what she said was what saved her was her curiosity. And I'm, I'm, I was listening to this. I'm thinking, what? Like of all the inner resources that you can come up with, curiosity is the one that saved her. And as I'm listening, I realized, yeah, because it was her curiosity that opened her mind up to her hope. It was the curiosity. She didn't lose hope and despair and say, forget it, my life is over. She constantly stayed open. Her nature was so positive. She was able to hold on to this constant hope of what is tomorrow going to bring? I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. I wonder if tomorrow I'll be reunited with my family. I wonder what salvation could happen tomorrow. And that curiosity was her really connecting with Hashem's ability to do anything. And the flick of a switch. And it's what got her through the horrors of the Holocaust. And that's what we need to take with us today. We need to use this pain to inspire us to be hopeful and to keep this in mind that in the flick of a switch, uh, I actually, I was, you know, when I, when I was talking to someone recently who was in a lot of pain, it was hard to know what to say. They were in a lot of pain, a lot. It was hard to know what to tell them. But Hashem put in my mind this, I had this guidance to say, to tell them that you know, I know you're in so much pain, but with the flick of a switch, it could all be over. It could all end. And don't forget that. Stay connected to that idea. And it just so happened to be that two days later, I called her back to find out how she was doing. And she had had a major breakthrough in her situation. A major, major breakthrough. Um, and, and who knows if it wasn't that hope, that openness, that curiosity, that what could happen with the flick of a switch? Who knows if that wasn't the schos that she needed to get the Yeshua that she got. Okay, Pasuk Gimel. So the captors were saying, Sing us the songs that you sang, the songs that you sang joyously in your temple. Sing, it, sing those songs to our idols. The next Pasuk says, This was our response. How? How? It's unthinkable. They said this word, eich, it was like a rhetorical question, like it was a question of, that was pointing to their deep pain and mourning and, and the distress that they were feeling at this, at even the thought of playing the instruments from the Beis Hamikdash, singing the songs 
that they sang to Hashem, to these terrible captors, to these idols that they were worshipping. How could we do this? They were saying to themselves, had we sung properly to God in the Beis HaMikdash while we were in our homeland, we never would have been exiled, we never would be in this situation to begin with. How can we now sing to their Avodah Now, the Levim actually were so against doing this they were so adamant that they not have to sing to Nebuchadnezzar as he was feasting away in celebration of his victory that they they hit the harps and they also mutilated their fingers. They cut off their fingers so that when they when Nebuchadnezzar asked them to sing Shirulanu Mishetzion, they they didn't flat out refuse. They what what they said was Hashem. How can we look? We have no fingers. We have no instruments. It's not even possible. Here's the next Pasuk where we say, this is our famous Pasuk that we say, the Malbim explains that it means that a person can never, it's impossible, a person can never forget his right hand. Our right hand is needed for functioning. We use it for everything. And so too, just like we would never forget that, we couldn't possibly forget Yerushalayim either. Another explanation here of these words is that this is actually Hashem speaking to us. Hashem says to us here, you willingly cut off your fingers, you willingly forfeited playing your music for my sake. I too am making a vow that I would sooner lose my right hand, forget my right hand, than forget about Yushalayim and forget about you and bring you back to Yushalayim. Tidbak l'shoni l'chiki em lo asperechi em lo alas Yushalayim al-Rosimchasi. If I forget to talk, if I don't talk about Yushalayim, during the height of my joy, let let me not be able to talk about anything. So we're promised here, we're promising here that we're going to elevate Yushalayim, the mention of Yushalayim, our recollections of it, talking about it. We're going to make that at the head of all of our joy. So now in order to make good on this promise that we, we promise here that we're never going to forget Yushalayim, it's something that we're always thinking about. Uh, we, because of this, we created laws of Zechel Chorban. We leave part of our home unfinished. We sing, you know, under the chuppah, we, we say, the chassan puts ashes on his head. We break the glass to remind us of the Chorban. And before benching every day, when we're full and we're happy, we put remembering the Chorban before our happiest moments. Zachar Hashem Levnei Edom Es Yom Yerushalayim HaOmer Maru Aru Arayisod Basahir is an allusion to the second, the destruction of the second Beis Hamikdash, the Levnei Edom, Edom who destroyed our second Beis Hamikdash is being remembered here, and we're asking Hashem to take Nekama on them, to take Nekama on the ones who said Aru Aru, destroy, destroy Arayisod Ba down to the foundations, strip the entire thing down to the foundations. So we're saying, praiseworthy is the one who's going to take Nekama on Bavel, who did all these terrible things to us. And actually, Bavel was destroyed off the face of the earth soon after they exiled us. It was almost like Hashem had them there just for this purpose of taking us into exile. And then they were gone. But the Jewish nation, the Jewish nation will always live on. We're a nation that Hashem promises will never die out. So we're thanking Hashem for taking the Kama on our enemies and praising whoever is getting delivered and sent to do that. Now the last Pasuk is super dramatic and very unlike us. We're saying praiseworthy is the one 
who, and I can't, it's hard to even say what these words mean out loud, because it's so not like us. It's, it's like, it's like a, a cruel depiction of what we want to happen to our enemies. Just like they took our babies and threw them against the rocks. We're, we're saying Hashem should do the same to them. So this is a very, um, a very interesting way of ending this parak, not the usual way we end Prakam of Tehillim, and not the way a year talks. We're not permitted to speak with this type of cruelty. It's just not who we are. It's not who we're meant to be. And one of the Sfarim, Das Mikra, I was reading that, um, you know, the Sefer itself was grappling, the author of the Sefer was grappling with this conundrum. Like, how could we talk like this? And one of the explanations that he gives, and you could hear him grappling with it back and forth. It's like a question that he keeps trying to answer in different ways. One of the answers is that this, this pasuk that we say, the, it was being said from a place of almost being in a drunken state. The Jews, they weren't drunk from wine. They were drunk from the sorrows that they were going through. The amount, it, it, the, the, the fact that we could even talk like this points to the kind of cruelty that came out of our enemy that they displayed to us so much cruelty. We suffered so much torture that we were in such a place of drunkenness from, and the words of the Sefer are from the Bilbul, the Bil, we had, we had a Bilbul Hadas, Machmas Tsarav Yisurav. It was like a, uh, we weren't able to think clearly out of a place of being in so much suffering. And we know that, you know, when we're, we, we try to speak nicely and we don't use Neville Peh and we, we try to speak the way Yid is supposed to speak when a person is going through intense suffering in their life. Things that you would never think would come out of their mouth somehow, sometimes, some seep out of their mouth. And this is kind of what's happening over here. Okay, so to sum up this parak, I want to sum up with the lessons, with the inspiration that we could take from this depiction of the Jews in, you know, in their place of mourning when they just arrived in their exiled places. I want to take the lessons from there so that we could strengthen ourselves. And we could strengthen our spiritual connection with Hashem today and every day. So the first lesson that we took was from the words Gam Bachinu, that the Jews, what does it mean also they cried? They were in a place of Yashavnu, they were content, they had a feeling that they felt Hashem's Shechina had came with them, had, had arrived with them in, into Galas, and they were feeling a certain contentment, a certain Menucha Sanefesh from that. Gam bachinu, but they were also crying. And so the, the message here is that even in our gullus, even as we sit here in our little chairs, Hashem is always with us. Wherever we let Him in, that's where He is. So we could, we can be inspired today to play up that connection, to, to connect even more strongly with His constant presence in our life. Because like we say in Tehillim, we say, Amagbihi la Sheves, and then it says, Hashem is sitting up high, and he's also coming down to look. Right after that, it says he's coming down low to look and see what's going on in our life. So which one is it? And the Mepharshim explained, it's whatever we want it to be. We have the choice. We're the one, we are the ones who decide, will Hashem be up there far away, or will he be coming down close to be with us? 
So let's make that decision that we want the Hamashpili Laros. We want Hashem to be close to us, bending down to be with us in our everyday life. And how can we do this? So first of all, Torah and mitzvot is designed to do this for us. We're so lucky. We don't have the base on Mitzvah, but we have Torah and Mitzvot to keep us constantly connected. So let's keep our finger on the pulse of our Torah and Mitzvah observance. How are we doing? What could we improve in? Constantly keeping our finger on that pulse is keeping our connection with Hashem alive. The second idea is an idea that I spoke, I spoke about in a previous Tehillim class where I said that my grandmother, Allah Shalom, went to visit the Bells of Rebetzin and the Bells of Rebetzin, and they were talking about connecting with Hashem and the Bells of Rebetzin held onto my grandmother's hand and she repeated the words, Beitin and Duncan and Beitin and Duncan and Beitin and Duncan and she kept saying it over and over. And what does it mean? It means ask and think and ask and think and ask and think. And that was her message of how to keep a close connection with Hashem. Ask for what you need. Notice it coming to your life. Thank Hashem for it. Keep that going. Don't ever lose hope and say, forget it. I'm not going to have what I need. Keep the hope alive. And that's what we're going to talk about in the second suggestion. And keep on asking and keep on thinking. And in that way, we keep our connection very strong. The second idea is Talinu Kinoroseinu. We glean the idea from the fact that the Leviim not only remembered to bring their instruments with them into exile, but they didn't destroy them, they didn't get rid of them, they didn't throw them away, even though it was dangerous for the captors to see their instruments because they were making them sing for them. But yet they didn't want to get rid of them. They hid them in the trees. They held on to their hope. And let's let's let the sadness of today spark desire, not for hopelessness, but for curiosity like Dr. Eger Let's let's keep our curiosity. We're a people of Yafa Pishis, Mamea, Imkazeachakilo. Even though it's delayed, we're still waiting. We never lose hope. Let's you know, we're the people that held on to our harps that didn't throw them away. And we have to realize that with a flick of a switch, let's say those words to ourselves to remind ourselves that we can be redeemed. We can be redeemed collectively, personally, in the blink of an eye with the flick of a switch. Thank you so much for listening. Let's all try to get this ball rolling. Let's connect with Hashem even stronger where we see Him so much in our personal lives and we we feel Him so close that He has no choice but to bring us the final redemption.